Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Activate Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Activate. My younger brother, MJ, who's a part of this church, he has been involved in church life for many years. I've served under him as a youth leader to a youth pastor. And so I've had to put up with so many cam stories. And what I mean by that is stories where he illustrates a point by making an embarrassment out of me. So it is now my turn to return serve and this is, I, I love this. So he, for some reason, decided it was going to be a great idea to no longer follow the Geelong Football Club, as had been the trend with the rest of the family, because that's what my mum did. That's what her folks did, and so on and so on. And I just carried on that tradition. But MJ decided, you know what? I'm going to kind of take my life down a bit of a different path. And he decided that the Adelaide Crows were what he was going to cheer for. Now, there is what I believe to be the real motivator behind that decision and his motivator behind this decision. I'll share with you his first, but you'll know the truth's coming in just a minute. His motivator was that he was born interstate, so it would make sense to support an interstate football team. And the fact that, at that time, the Adelaide Crows were on the bottom of the ladder, so he thought, geez, they just can't possibly get any worse, so this is a good fit. <laughs> As, exactly, right. There, there is no way that is even close to believable. My version of events, tune in, and I'm sure you may be able to relate, is that at about the time when MJ was making this decision, he was at that certain age where how do I say this, boys start to notice girls. And there was a certain young female in his class who he was rather fond of. And wouldn't you believe it, she's an Adelaide Crows fan. <laughs> So's her entire family, mind you. And he realises, this is my way in. This is the way that I can just start to get the points on the board and maybe have a bit of a crack at this. Now, come on, which of the two is more believable? Yeah. My version. But you know what's funny? Is that he didn't even end up marrying this girl anyway, so what was the point? <laughs> There's no point, and now he has to live with the consequence of that decision <laughs> to follow the Adelaide Crows for the rest of his life. <laughs> Let's get stuck into this book of James. I want to turn your attention to James chapter 2 and verse 1. It's going to come up on the screen. It says, My brothers... Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. It's kind of like you're rolling out the red carpet for this guy. While you say to the poor man, you just stand over there. There's room for you just at the back somewhere. Well, sit down on my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith 
and heirs of the kingdom which He has promised to those who love Him. Let me pray. Father, I thank You that Your Word is living and active even today. Father, that You have truth that is just laid into this text. And Father, as we explore this concept of playing favourites tonight, I just pray that You will just move in a powerful way by Your Spirit tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. You know, there's no room for prejudice in our faith. There's no room for prejudice. And what this passage of James is illustrating to us is the point that we're so clearly showing prejudice. We're so clearly rolling out the red carpet for the rich man whilst we're just saying to the poor guy, look, it's it's not a great look, so why don't you, rather than getting all the attention up the front, why don't we just make some room for you up the back? And it's so funny, research shows that we form our opinions on somebody new within seven seconds. Seven seconds is all it takes for us to make our mind up about somebody. Whether we're going to maybe even like talking to this person. Maybe we're going to classify them into something that we might like to relate to. It's crazy how quickly our minds actually focus in on what somebody else is without even knowing them whatsoever, without even knowing anything about their story. And maybe for you tonight, I haven't met you yet and you might be making your opinions based on me, based on this. But that's what we do, isn't it? We make our opinions based on what we see and what's visually in front of us. And I want to challenge you guys tonight as James is talking about, to just shift your mindset. Shift your mindset because there's no room for prejudice in our faith. There's no room for it. None whatsoever. And yet so often it's what we easily fall back on when it comes to making our choices about who our friends are going to be, the people that we want to hang out with, the people that we want to relate to on a regular basis. Like, sure, I get it, you can't choose your family, but the others, the other people that you can control, that you want to welcome into that sphere. So often, if you look at the people that are in your world that you hang out with, they're so similar to who you are. Similar in terms of maybe stage of life, similar in terms of maybe whether they're working or not, whether you're a student or not, We make these connections so quickly and so easily, often without even necessarily thinking it. And yet, James, through this passage, uses the illustration of rich and poor, not necessarily to highlight the difference between richness and poorness, but to highlight the disparity in class and how we need to totally not be making our decisions based on what we perceive to be somebody's class. We need to be shifting our thinking to be coming at it from a completely different level altogether. And the crazy thing is that we can often make these same assumptions and these same choices about ourselves with our own identity, can't we? We can form our opinions of who we are based on how well life seems to be going, on whether you've got a job, maybe it's the job that you want, maybe it's not the job that you want. Maybe with the amount of money that you make, 
maybe whether you're in a relationship. All these things start to form our own value and our own opinion of ourselves and we can classify ourselves. But what happens when all of that comes crashing down? What happens when you wake up first thing in the morning, you're heading into that job, you get called into the boss's office and he says, look, I'm sorry, we're just going to have to let you go. What happens to your identity? Do you walk out of that door still knowing who you are? Or does everything around you just come crashing down? Does your world get shattered? Or are you kind of just, as was shared by Dan, going, okay, well, that's just a little bit of a stumble. That's okay. We can keep on moving. You know, we so need to be forming our identity and our value in who Jesus says that we are rather than what the world says that we are. There is so much more to us. There's so much more to you than that. Because it's so easy to make the assumption when we look at this passage, that the wealthy are good and that the poor are bad. It's so easy to naturally slip into that, as is highlighted. When the rich guy comes in, we're rolling out the red carpet because we perceive that he's good. We perceive that this is the kind of guy that I want to be hanging out with. And we say, come, sit up the front. Let me get you a coffee. Let me get you all sorted out. Whereas the rich, the poor guy... We're just like, yeah, okay, look, I see you. Kind of wish I didn't, but I see you. But there's room for you at the back. And maybe the way that even this works for us today, for church tonight, is not necessarily to tell them to go and stand up the back. It's maybe we completely ignore them and we don't even say a thing to them. And we just let them walk into the building feeling completely strange and completely odd. And... It's like that sometimes, isn't it? When you walk into a strange environment, when maybe you're heading into a party and you walk in there and you don't know anybody. You don't know anybody at all. And let me tell you what the standard fallback's going to be when you walk into a strange place. You just, oh. Come on. <laughs> Seriously, that's what we do because it's our way of making ourselves not feel as awkward with what's happening around us in our environment. And I'm so glad if you made the choice to be here tonight and you're new and you're visiting, I'm so glad that you made that decision to come through the door because I'm so proud of this church. I'm so proud that this is a church that just feels like home for so many people. And I'm so glad that you're here. So glad that you're here. You know, our faith needs to be partnered with action. This is the key takeaway thought from everything that you read in James. He's so highly practical. He's so highly, oh, I don't know, what's the right way to say it? He's so highly, come on, let's get it together. He's almost like he's trying to waken you up. He's almost trying to slap you around a little bit in a good spiritual way to go, come on, guys, there's more to it than this. There's more to it than this. And yet, when we take this concept, it actually shapes how we act, how we act. Let's look again at James. Chapter 1, verse 9 to 10. It says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Now, in this context of using rich and poor, it brings enormous pressure for people to focus on what's happening in and around their worlds rather than on Jesus, as I was saying before. And this is the point that James is trying to make. 
he's trying to illustrate the fact that people are so regularly shaping their decisions based on the external circumstances of what's happening around them rather than what Jesus actually is trying to say. He's trying to exhort the poor to see their value before God, that their value isn't limited to their existence, to what's happening in their world around them. Whereas he humbles the rich to acknowledge their wealth because it brings them no status or no advantage before God. You know, Luke chapter 6 and verse 31, this is one of my all-time favourite passages out of the Bible. Absolutely love it. It says, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So what's that trying to say? Treat others the same way that you want to be treated. Think about it. Think about what makes you feel good. Is it that people speak well about you? Is it that people treat you with respect? Is it any number of different things? What is it? But take how that makes you feel and go and do that for other people. You know, it's so funny that this concept has come up in conversation for me a a couple of times through the course of this week. Have you ever had that dream, and maybe you haven't, where you wake up and you realise you're in a completely public place wearing nothing but your underwear? Has anybody else had this dream? Show of hands, anybody? Maybe, okay, there's a couple of people. Maybe you've had something like this where you find yourself in a position of absolute panic because you're in an environment that you normally know how to control but something's changed, something's different and something's just a little bit off. And the reason that I'm saying this is because this is my story with Luke chapter 6 and verse 31 because for me when I have this dream... It's that I'm on air, I'm doing a live shift, the microphone's on, I'm supposed to know what I'm doing in that moment and yet I've got nothing. I've got donuts. There is absolutely nothing happening. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. I don't know what is meant to be happening in that moment. And we've got this thing on light, you may have heard it if you've listened. Uh, It's called a words to live by. Kind of happens all the way out of the news. It's just a little bit of, you know, some inspiration with some action points out of it. Word to live by, hence the title. And for me, if ever you hear me using Luke 6.31 in a words to live by, you will know that it is because I've had that exact moment where I've heard the intro coming in and I am not prepared because this is my fallback. This is my, oh gosh, the microphones, um, treat others. Just as, <laughs> that, that, that's my fallback. That's just my natural safety net and I just, ah, okay. If there's one thing that you take away, please don't let it be that I embarrass myself on live radio. But if there's anything you take away, just listen in for this moment. Train your brain, guys. Train your brain that class is a farce. Train your brain that class is a farce a farce. It is not what we think it is. In fact, Jesus wants to get rid of it completely. It's a whole concept and an idea that the world has invented for us to be able to put each other in boxes. But nowhere in this book 
do I read anywhere about Jesus putting any, anybody in a box? Yeah. It's just not in there. It's just not. And one of the things I, I love about James is that it's kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament. And there's so many verses in Proverbs that actually parallel with this concept. Proverbs 22 and verse 2 says, The rich and the poor meet together and the Lord is the maker of them all. He just levels the playing field right there. You know, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he didn't lay down his life for people that were just going to be able to lay down their coins to support his ministry. He didn't do that at all. John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that who? Whoever, whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. He's leveling the playing field. He's completely wanting to demolish this idea of class, this rank, this status. He just wants to blow it out of the window. And he says that whoever believes in me will not perish but have eternal life. Proverbs 28 and verse 21 says, To show partiality is not good. No kidding. (laughs) There's times when you read the Bible, I don't know if you're like me, and you kind of have to dig a little bit deeper. You've got to get the commentary. You've got to, you know, try and work out what it is that's actually happening with this particular passage. Not Proverbs 28, 21. That just says, to show partiality is not good. So don't do it. <laughs> but it is so easy for us, isn't it, to just pick out the verses that we love, to pick out our favourites, if you will, and just apply the ones that are easy. To just apply the ones that don't actually require too much of an effort from ourselves. It's crazy, isn't it? We just so naturally do it. Maybe it's because we don't like the confrontation. Maybe we're a bit challenged by the conviction. I don't know what it is, but we all do it from time to time. And you know, one thing that was really highlighted to me when it comes to this entire concept of status and class and stepping out of your comfort zone happened a number of years ago at uh, a small group night. And uh, it had been a big day. We'd rocked up to our small group leader's house thinking that it was just going to be normal small group night. We were going to get together. We were going to have a laugh with some good friends we were going to, you know, have a little bit of food, we'd read the word, we'd pray, we'd go home, we'd high-five each other on the way out saying, wasn't that a great night? As we walked in, <laughs> and I'll never forget this moment when the small group leader says, so tonight, for small group, guess what we're going to do? I'm like, tell me, what are we going to do? And he says, I thought it would be good if we would go into St Kilda tonight and hand out roses to prostitutes and tell them that Jesus loves them. You can imagine my shock. I said, can you repeat that? Did you you just... Yeah, you did. Right. And I was wondering why he didn't tell us that beforehand. 
But then the reality sunk in and I go, if he did, no one would have turned up because no one in their right mind would necessarily want to do that. But people do do it all the time because of a conviction that they hold. And I want to just paint a bit of a picture for you because when it came to actioning this, first up, we're in the car and I don't know about you, but when you've got get that uncomfortableness that you're feeling you know your heart's pounding because you know what's coming and you know you can't back out but you have to do it anyway we're in the car and you know there's small talk and then there's awkward small talk when you're all just trying to ignore the elephant that's in the room well this is what's happening right now and we're just uh, yeah so um busy day yeah crazy huh yeah we were all scared we didn't know what was coming. Anyway, we get there, we arrive in St Kilda and we start looking for prostitutes. <laughs> and if you've just tuned in at the podcast at this particular moment, welcome. <laughs> Maybe you should rewind and get some context. But I'll never forget it. We had the roses in our hands with just a little piece of paper that just said, Jesus loves you and that's it. And we identified target number one. We all hopped out of the car. And like a good, true group of friends that we were with, they all took a step back and said, Cam, you're first, mate. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Thanks, fellas. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. No worries. So I just walk up to this lady. And I hand her this rose. And I just say, you might find this strange. <laughs> but... I just want to tell you that Jesus loves you and that he has a plan and a purpose for your life and if it's all right, can I pray for you? It was like she'd seen a ghost, <laughs> seriously. She had no way of actually knowing how to respond in that situation. But as the conversation happened, turns out she was not unlike you and I at all. Just her existence was just playing out completely differently because she said, look, I'm just working just to try and raise and support my son and this is the only way that I know how to do it. And in that moment, my heart broke for her and I realised that I'd been making assumptions and that I'd been making my opinions on her as we were driving around in St Kilda based on my own prejudices and so often we do it with everybody that we meet. We moved on a little bit later on that night and we find another lady and this time the entire group goes up and they start talking and they hand her a rose and we ended up praying for her and then out of the corner of my eye I see this big, burly, tattooed bloke just wandering along in the background. And I'm a scrawny fella. And so I was feeling very physically intimidated by this guy who was clearly coming and walking towards us in this moment. I'm thinking, oh gosh, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. This is not how I saw my life playing out. And I've realised in that moment that I was, again, using a prejudice 
on this guy based on what I saw, doing everything that I'm telling you tonight not to do, this is what I was doing to this guy. And he walks up and it didn't take me long to twig that he had a level of investment in this exchange that was happening. Because um, he was the guy that had the business interest in what was happening with this particular lady and he was trying to find out if we were hassling this lady. He was the pimp. He was the one that was running the whole operation. Okay? I, I, I can't say it any other way. And he said, what's going on here? I'm like, oh, you know, you know, we're just from this church and we're giving out roses and just saying, Jesus loves you. He's like, you're from church, hey? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I went to church once. Oh my gosh, you guys are crazy. <laughs> and that's all that he said. And he was fine. Uh, he was like, okay, so you guys are leaving? Yeah, we're leaving. Don't worry about that. We're out of here. But you know what? The crazy thing about this story is not that we were giving out roses to prostitutes in St Kilda because to my knowledge in their world things may or may not have changed. They may or may not have had a change of heart towards Christians. They may or may not have had a change of heart towards Jesus or the church. But small things can have such a big impact into people's lives. Just small things. You don't necessarily need to go and change the world, but if you can, do it. But often, just small things change the world for one person. And isn't that what we're trying to do? Isn't that what this whole thing is all about? So what do you have to do? How do you not show prejudice? Well, let's go back to James, chapter 2, verse 8 says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing well. I love the little encouragement that James just throws in there, just at the end, you're doing well, you're doing well. But let me give you a couple of examples on how you can love your neighbour. And you can almost replace the word neighbour with anybody really. We're just trying to show love to people. Love's proactive and love is observant. Often it's going to take you taking a step across the room. Let's put it in this church context tonight. Maybe you need to be proactive to be able to walk across that foyer to go and say hello to somebody that's just walked in for the very first time. Maybe you need to make them welcome. Maybe you need to actually do something sometimes you're going to have to go out of your way love's compassionate and it's responsive so often when we talk to people and i know that i'm often guilty of this as well you just often lose track of what's happening in the moment with the conversation because your attention is somewhere else whether it's because of another conversation that you know you're supposed to have, maybe it's because you're trying to make lunch plans or dinner plans, and maybe you're not fully engaged in the moment that's happening right there. But you've got to show compassion to people. When they're pouring their heart out to you, rather than just going, yep, uh-huh, 
Uh-huh. Actually listen. Actually listen to what it is that they're saying. Take it on board. Be compassionate. And sometimes you just need to stay in that moment rather than focusing on what's happening elsewhere. And here's, here's the big one. Love's costly and it's sometimes inconvenient. Like heading out to St Kilda in the middle of the night during winter to give somebody a rose and tell them that Jesus loves you. Maybe, just maybe, it's going to require you to step out of your comfort zone. Might actually require you to do something that is maybe just a little bit uncomfortable. Sometimes you're going to need to pay. So love's proactive and observant. Sometimes it's out of your way. Love is compassionate and responsive. Sometimes you need to stay. Love's costly and sometimes inconvenient. Sometimes you need to pay. I love what Jesus says because he just, as he often does, being Jesus, takes it to another level, doesn't he? He challenges our mindset of what culture is and what society is and he steps it up to another level. In his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read this for you. Verse 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbour, as we've just talked about, and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Again, levelling the playing field, everybody's the same. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, maybe you're just like me. The first time that I heard that last verse, I said, hold up! Not perfect, so guess what? Doesn't apply to me. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that we need to align ourselves to be just like Jesus. We need to align ourselves in our thinking, in the way that we look at the world, in the way that we look at people, to try and be more like Jesus. And as Christians, isn't that one of our highest callings? Isn't that one of the things that is at the underlying of everything that we are. Be more like Jesus. Be more like Jesus. James chapter 1 and verse 27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. A number of years ago, I had the opportunity to travel to Indonesia. And uh, I want to show you this photo. This is a guy whose name is Ojum. And Ojum's a farmer. And uh, the patch that's over his eye is because he's just walked out of a cataract operation. And I was travelling with an organisation called CBM um, and Light FM at the same time for a, a project that we do called Miracles Day, which is actually happening again this week. But the crazy thing is, 
is that this trip absolutely shattered my perception on people in the developing world. And if you've travelled into the developing world, maybe you've got a story just like mine. But if not, I want to tell you what I learned. Because you look at Ojim's face, you look at how happy he is. He's got the smile, he's missing teeth, he doesn't care. <laughs> because he's just had an operation which has transformed his life. Because up until this point, he couldn't see. He had cataracts in that eye. And he's a farmer, he's got a family, and he couldn't provide for his kids anymore. He was a burden, not only to his family, but to his entire community, just because he couldn't see. But now that he can see, everything changes. He can support his family, he can head back to being a farmer, and everything's right in the world again. But when I was in Indonesia, we flew and we visited his house, and I used the word house very lightly. <laughs> it was more of an assembly of items with some semblance of a roof over the top, and it had flooded a couple of days before we got there, and you can imagine the drainage isn't very good in the developing world. So literally, they had all of the furniture stacked up on top of the dining room table, which was just like a tree, which is just where they left stuff. They live in completely different circumstances to you and I. And yet, he was so happy. So happy. He loved his life. Absolutely loved it. And here I am, walking in there as the guy from Australia who everyone's looking at because people from the Western world don't venture out to this part of Indonesia too often, thinking that I'm above him, thinking that I, in all of my whatever, was somehow in a status and a class above him and that I was there to help him. He taught me so much. He taught me so much because he is just like me. Because there are often times when I can't see what's going on around me, when I can't see the impact that my decisions have, when I let stuff that's happening in my life cloud my judgment rather than falling back to what Jesus says about me, to what this book says about me. It's crazy, isn't it? That at the end of the day, we're all created in the image of Christ. We're all exactly the same. And yet we bring in these perceived ideas of class and of status and of identity even. But guys, train your brain. Train your brain that class is a farce. It's a farce. Get rid of it. We're all the same. At the end of the day, you and I, there's such an eternal impact into making a decision to not let your choices and your actions be ruled by prejudice. James chapter 2, verse 15 and 16 says this, If a brother or sister 
is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is that? I get this picture of James as he's writing with his quill and his parchment and he's scribbling away and as he writes, what good is that? Quill drop. (laughs) He's highlighting that entire concept once again, isn't he? That going, it's a great intention, you had a great idea there but off you go. Didn't actually do anything to help, off you go. You know, I'm so... Refreshed. (laughs) I'm so passionate about this church. And I love the people that are in this church. And I want to tell you a story about one lady who's here tonight. Her name is Ro. Ro, can you just give us a wave up at the back there? Let's all give Ro a round of applause. And I love it because you don't even know why yet. But some of you may know this story, some of you won't. But Ro was on the host team one particular morning, a year or so ago, maybe a little bit longer. And uh, she parked just out the back here, just uh, next to the cricket nets and the footy oval. And as she parks, she notices that there's a homeless guy who's asleep in the car. He's just there, minding his own business. But rather than just letting it be an observation, Roe decides in this moment to go, I wonder whether this guy could use a coffee. Again, small thing, big impact, right? She walks down, knocks on the window, excuse me, mate, just wondered if you'd want a coffee. I'm from the church, we're just up here. He's like, well, thank you, that's great. I love that. He has the coffee, they chat for a couple of moments and then Roger says, look, is there anything else that we could do for you? And the guy says, well, actually, you know what, there is. There is something that you could do. I'd really just love a shower. I'd really just love a shower. Now, in the toilet, just out here, we have a shower. So, Rose's like, all right, let's make that happen. Come with me. Now, all this is happening while church is on, right? (laughs) We're singing songs, we're listening to the Word. Rose out there getting ready to give a homeless guy a shower. I mean, isn't that incredible that she had to clear out, she had to do all this work, it's a little bit uncomfortable, she was going out of her way to be able to make an allowance to give this guy who needed something, just something small, a shower. How often do you and I take a shower for granted every single day? But when you're homeless, you don't know where your next shower's coming from, you don't know where your next meal's coming from. And yet, small thing big impact because that guy's life has completely turned around from that particular moment. I want to invite the band to come. There's a quote that I love but I also hate it because it is so challenging, it is so convicting and every time I read it I get challenged by it once again. 
in James, this whole concept, there has to be action to our faith. It's got to be action. It can't just be good intentions. It can't just be great ideas. There's got to be something more to it than that. He says, sometimes I would like to ask God why he allows poverty, suffering and injustice when he could do something about it. True. But then the rest of the quote goes, but I'm afraid that he'd ask me the same question. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? It's so easy for us to just live in our perceived status and our perceived class and not actually take that step. Walk across the foyer. Shake out a hand with a smiling face. Hello. So glad you're in church today. Maybe it's in the workplace. Wherever it is, it doesn't matter. Small things can have such a big impact. Such a big impact. And you can do amazing things if you would just action your good intentions. Because we all have good ideas up here, but we don't actually outwork them all the time, do we? Hey, thanks for listening to the Activate Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you are encouraged today and we would love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to activatechurch.com.